0: Welcome to the Hire Learning Podcast with me, Oz Rashid. Our podcast focuses on the one thing every business leader must excel at when building a high-performance team, effective hiring. Identifying high performers that fit your team is not just an HR responsibility. It impacts every area of the business and all hiring leaders in your company. We're here to have an honest and entertaining conversation with different business leaders from a variety of industries to learn about new ways of identifying and engaging top talent in today's business environment. I'm your host, Az Rashid. Welcome to another episode of Higher Learning. I'm your host, Oz Rashid. Today, we have joining us Dina Metter, CEO of Couture Technology and Deputy Director at The Wondery at Vanderbilt. How are you doing today, Dina?
1: Oh, it is a great day. It's a beautiful day here in Nashville. I'm so excited to be on with you.
0: Yeah, I appreciate you taking some time with us. We love Nashville. It's one of my favorite places to go visit. Obviously, we've got a big office there. And so looking forward to seeing you in a couple weeks. And again, I appreciate you taking the time.
1: We keep trying to entice you here. Just
0: saying. Listen, I'm becoming a secondary resident at this point. You just guys keep feeding me the food every time I get to eat when I go to Nashville. I'm probably gonna have to get a residence there. So just keep that in mind. All right, so here we go. I want to learn a little bit about your background. I found it to be so fascinating. I'm really excited to dive into this. Let's start here, though. I want to know about your company, Couture Fit. So can you tell us what the company is about, what you do, and how it was founded? Kind of give us a little bit of the story, because I'm really interested to hear the development of it.
1: Yeah, for sure. Couture Technologies has been my life since 2019. So a little bit about how it got started, and maybe a little bit even back before that kind of leads you to why this was even a thing that ended up on my radar. I am an innovator like deep down in my soul. (laughs) So I started my first company when I was in graduate school, then developed two different educational technologies. And then Couture is the latest venture. So this is in the fashion meets technology space, which is such an exciting space to be in. But it really came out of, I did a project for Accenture and it was around, hey, we've got a new client, which ended up being a fast fashion client. And what are some innovations we can propose to them, right? We're a new client. We're trying to impress them. What are some opportunities in this space? Tina, can we, I ask
0: you real quick? Because I don't, I don't know some of our listeners know this. What does fast fashion mean?
1: Ah, uh, So fast fashion, not sure the exact year really started to peak and take off, but it's been a while now. This is fashion that is very trendy, usually pretty low cost and inexpensive, and it cycles very quickly. So fast fashion companies introduce Hundreds of pieces every week, uh, like Zara. Is that is like Zara, uh, Forever Twenty One, got it, and H&M. These are things that are very trendy usually, and they cycle through very quickly.
0: Nice. Okay. Thank you for explaining. Sorry, didn't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No,
1: that's great. And and we're starting to see a decline in that space. Actually, the new generation of consumers that are more sustainability minded hmm. have been starting to shy away from fast fashion as much. We'll see what that means longer term, but. So got tasked with this project. Basically, what are innovative opportunities? What are growth opportunities for companies in that space? And with any project like that, the first step for me, is always, take a deep dive, learn what's happened in the industry, where it's headed, interview lots of leaders, all the way from entry-level employees, right, all the way up to the leadership and figure out what are the challenges in their day-to-day? What are the things that are keeping them up at night? And what are the things that their performance is being based on? What are the things they're really trying to do? And one thing that stuck with me that ended up not being a part of the project I was working on was just the rate of returns. How much that was a challenge, a top three challenge for over 75% of the leaders that I talked to. It was something keeping them up at night. And it was something that was leading to the stat for last year was 5.3 billion pounds of goods. Just from the US, of apparel that was going straight to a landfill just due to returns. And so it's just a massive challenge. And when I talk to leaders in this space, the biggest challenge with returns, as far as online, is it's really hard to gauge size and fit. So couture, we started building a virtual try-on technology, which is really two main components. So we build digital people and we build digital clothing, and we combine those two things together so that you could accurately and authentically try on clothes online.
0: I love that. Okay, so you had the concept, you had the idea, you saw the need. What's the next step from there?
1: Yeah. So we, for me, I've been a serial tech founder now with multiple different types of ideas and in different industries. The starting point for me, and it's what we also teach at The Wondery, is always customer discovery. So those 300 brand leaders and their employees and their customers that we interviewed, we really wanted to make sure that what we thought the challenges were the real challenges, that it was something worth solving. And until you really understand that and from the people who are directly working in the field and experience it, I don't think you should build a solution. So pretty strongly, right, you've got the right idea and the right approach to solving it even things like prioritizing what features you're going to build first to help you maximize your team's time and call and minimize costs so that's the first step for me is always talk to as many people as possible that are in as many different parts of the industry as possible so we had interview guides that we set up for if we're talking to a clothing manufacturer if we're talking to a personal stylist if we're talking to a brand leader if we're talking to someone that works on the front lines in a store helping Customers pick out clothing. And once we had all of those insights, we felt pretty confident that we knew what the biggest challenges were to solve. So we put together a prototype. So the bare minimum, not fully functioning by any means, rough version of what we thought the experience might be. We integrated that with one brand's website just to get feedback from customers, see how people were using it. What did they click on? What did they not click on? What did they like? What did they not like? And then moved into an actual MVP and then into a full product. So for me, it's always stages. And those stages never get too far away from the customer. You just can't build for long periods of time without that having interaction with the people who are going to use
0: it. Yeah, we're going through that right now with our own SaaS platform in AI. And we're going out to market and trying to see these different market signals and test our assumptions. And there's so many different ways to go about doing it. It's so important. It's a lot of work, but it's completely necessary. And to your point, a lot of the strong held beliefs you might've had initially, once you go out to a thousand, five thousand, ten thousand people, you might find that you were completely off. And so I think it's such an important part of the process. We've talked a little bit in the past about investment and people investing in you. How important were those data points to them in terms of saying, we've really dug into this and we've been very diligent around understanding what the market wants and here are the proof points. Was that something important to them or was that secondary to other attributes in terms of you being somebody and your company being one worth investing in?
1: I think it was hugely important and on a couple of different sides. So important to investors, if you're trying to bring someone along with you and get them to invest before you have customers and before you have revenue, really all they have, right. Is your understanding of the industry and you being able to articulate what you understand about that industry and why this solution is going to beat out the other solutions or why it's better than what people are doing today. And I'm outside of the fashion industry, right? It's not a place that I've worked at my enti- in my entire career. So I need that, right? I need that input. I need to be able to show that I do understand it, that I've talked to people, that we know why we're doing what we're doing and that it is going to be the solution. So it was hugely important on the investment side, but also equally as important when we were talking to potential initial customers, Mm. they wanted to know who all have we talked to? What is this based on? Because at that point where you don't have customers, it's not like you're pointing to, hey, here's the ROI for our solution. I know that I can prevent half of your returns. You don't have that at an early stage, but you do have That you can articulate a really clear understanding of, hey, I talked to people on five different continents, five countries, different continents, that you really have done the work to understand the space. And also that what they're experiencing isn't uncommon, right? But what they're seeing also feels like a value add when you're talking to them, when you can confirm, right, some of the things that they're seeing are things that you've also heard from hundreds of other people. It feels like you're contributing, right, to them, not just trying to sell them or evaluate them as a potential customer.
0: No, man, I'm just so fascinated by this stuff. I am such a novice when it comes to, obviously, you know, wear MSH t-shirts pretty much every day. So this is just an area that I don't have a ton of depth in. And so I really appreciate you diving into that. I think that's awesome. Sounds like an amazing idea. I'm really excited to keep following along. I want to talk a little bit about your time at Vanderbilt because you've been there for 13 years and from everything I've seen with the Wondery, it's so embedded in both Nashville and entrepreneurship communities out there. In a very deep way. And you've been there for 13 years. So I'm just interested, what was it like when you first got there versus to what it is now?
1: <laughs> so I will say I adore Vanderbilt, obviously, since I've stayed for 13 years. But when I came to Vanity, I had just sold my first company um, and really wanted to dig into and learn how to do research. And if you were in Tennessee, right, Vanderbilt is the place to do high quality research. It's a place where there's a lot of research going on. I think we just passed a billion dollars in funded research, which is great. So you have an opportunity to research almost any kind of a topic, right, that, that you'd be interested in. So I wanted to come for that reason. And I thought I would stay a year or two, maybe at the tops get that research institute experience, learn how to do that, and then figure out what my next steps were going to be, and if I liked that, where I wanted to go with my career, and it's year 13, so obviously that plan (laughs) plan is not what happened. Not at all. (laughs) When I got to Vandy, one of the things, right, about any place you work is the community, and it is such a vibrant community, Within a five-minute walk, there's pretty much any an expert on any topic you would want to have a conversation around, which is mm-hmm. super engaging and enticing. Sure. Uh, when I came, the research institute that I started working at, they were really good at picking up on when I was starting to get a little too comfortable in a role and then moving me <laughs> into something completely new. And so uh, some of the things that I've seen change Right over this time that I've been at Vandy is a real intentional focus around innovation, Mm. around translating all of the research, all of the discoveries, all of the ideas and innovation that's happening on campus out into the world where it can have an impact on society. So you, you think about all the cool things that are discovered on a daily basis. We people a billion dollars in research, right? There's a lot of activity and there's a lot of light bulbs going off and aha moments and things that are happening that have a huge potential to change the world. But to do that, they have to make it off campus. They have to make it out into the market. They have to make it out where people in the world can interact or use what comes out of that research. And so in the last really a couple of years, but then leading up to it, there's been a real intentional focus on how do we incentivize, right, for for people to not just write a paper about what they discover or present at a conference, but actually translate that into sometimes a product, a service, a technology, a mechanism right for that to make it out into the world where it can have a big impact. That has been to me, really rewarding to see. And it's aligned really nicely with where Nashville is heading as well. We've seen a huge growth in innovative companies, right, moving in, startups springing up, and then staying here and growing here and hiring here and um, transitioning their ideas right into the world. And then our students end up going to work for them and The biggest shift to me has been from a focus, there's always been a focus on education and a focus on discovery, but now that shift to translation and getting it out of the walls of campus and into the market, but also then being able to support students to be, right, the kind of people that you need to support these jobs of the future, right, these industries that are emerging and growing, And that to me has been one of the most remarkable things. And part of that has been just the existence of the Wondery. The Wondery didn't exist five years ago. That's when it got started. And when you invest in something like that, you're signaling that you're investing in a catalyst for innovation, that you're investing in entrepreneurship and being able to take an idea from a piece of paper and actually put it out into the world.
0: Yeah, I always say that one of the key qualities of every great entrepreneur I know is a genuine, authentic curiosity. And your curiosity was such that you wanted to learn so much that you went and took a job to be there around all these brilliant minds and take more of a research-based approach. And that was a two, three-year plan and you're there 13 years, so that's fantastic. I'm not gonna let you use research as the answer, but how has the role of Vanderbilt made you a better entrepreneur?
1: So several things. One is, I feel like, so one of my absolute like favorite quotes, right? Find a group of people who challenge and inspire you, spend a lot of time with them, and it will change your life. That has definitely been the thing that has happened for me here. When you are around people every day, right, that are researching or discovering or just have an idea for a venture. I get to see everything from cybersecurity solutions that people are working on, SynTech applications. And then on the other end of the spectrum, I get to see med devices. I get to see people starting restaurant concepts and clothing lines. And you can't be around those kind of dreamers, innovators, entrepreneurs, and not be changed from that. So just seeing people every day that have an idea and they're working hard to bring it to life, it makes things feel possible that if you were not in that environment, they might not feel possible. And then it's hard, right? It's hard in anything that you try to bring to life, but it feels a little less hard, right? When you're in that kind of environment and you're around surrounded by those kind of people. So that's one way, just to me, being in an atmosphere where people are collaborative, people are doing cool work day in and day out, they share what they're working on. And you get to follow their process. And you can't help but be inspired by being in that kind of setting. And then another kind of key way. So all of the things that we teach at The Wondery about how you evaluate an idea, how you start a business. I took Couture through all of those. So all the things that we teach and do. Couture as an idea went through all of that, so firsthand, we have a program that we work on with the National Science Foundation that's called ICORE, and I took Couture through ICORE. So all the same things that I help people do, I've done myself, and those experiences got Couture to where it is today. Right? If I wasn't also following that process that I teach, Couture would have been a whole lot more risky. And we would have been a lot more likely to build something that no one wanted or that wasn't going to be easy to get traction in the market.
0: I love that. All right, I do want to ask you, and I think I read this is probably back in the 90s, but I think I read something. There's some ridiculous statistic that like 70 percent of entrepreneurs were at one point paper boys or paper girls. (laughs) Now, that vocation doesn't really exist anymore, but I'm just interested. Has entrepreneurship always been in your blood? Is that were you having lemonade stands as a kid or how did you the bug bite you later on in life? How, How did you come into just having such a passion for this?
1: Yeah, so it's been in stages, but I will say when I was in middle school, I don't have as much time as I would like anymore, right? When you run a company and you help run a place like The Wonder, but I sold drawings. So things that I drew when I was in middle school, usually to classmates, but sometimes to other people. So that was the first one. And then my first, what I would say, like real business, right? Legit registered with the state, all of those things happened when I was in graduate school.
0: Wow. All right. I got to ask, what kind of drawings are you doing? Like characters? Are you doing like fancy designs? uh, Or what do we have? I
1: did everything from leopards and horses to cartoon characters and then stuff I made up.
0: And kids are just shelling out cash back at school trying to get a leopard picture. I love this. (laughs) Are you still artistic like that? Do you still find yourself doodling and drawing?
1: I am very artistic. I moved more into. Painting and less into drawing, but yeah, if there were more hours in the day, I would spend more time doing it. But I do carve out some time here and there to still be so, very creative.
0: We got to find the entrepreneur that's going to add a few hours to each of our days, so we just yeah. get more time to do the things we need to do.
1: Yeah. All right, listen, I,
0: I want to jump into the meat of this because we talk about hiring on this podcast, and yeah. you've been working at Vanderbilt for 13 years, you've been working as multiple startup owners, so you've probably done what fair to say hundreds of hires throughout your career,
1: Definitely. okay?
0: So I want to know, and let's look at it from your company perspective. Do you have an overall hiring philosophy for people that you bring into what is essentially your baby?
1: Yes. I'd say, I don't know if it's so much of like philosophy, but it is our strategy. And there's a couple kind of key points to that. So for Couture, we were a bootstrapped startup, meaning we did not take investment for the first two years of the company. We are developing something that's very deeply technical that requires people who know machine learning and know how to do 3D simulation work. And these are people, right, typically most people on our team have a master's or a PhD in computer science or a related field. And as we all know, those people are in high demand. So when you are a bootstrap startup, trying to find those people that you need can be extra challenging. But so one of the strategies that we took, I got really lucky in that my co-founder, who's the CTO for Couture, he has lived and worked all over the world. So he was originally born in Cuba, did graduate degrees in France and in Spain, came to Vanderbilt to do a postdoc. And so along all of those journeys and all of those different parts of his life, he's met people all over the world. And so one of our first strategies for finding the technical talent that we needed to get that first prototype and then MVP together and really start figuring out, could we even build this technology? Was it even technically possible? Was go to all of the professors that he's had in all of those universities that he's been a part of, ask them, hey, who were the most talented students that you worked with over the last five years? Would you mind making introductions to them? Do you know of any of them that you feel like are looking for a change or looking for something new? And that's how we've hired almost every member of our team. Whoa. And then we even hired one of the professors.
0: (laughs) I love that. Talk about creativity and sourcing. Wow. That's good stuff there. Let's see. Listen, it's not always what you know. It's who you know. And to have those types of relationships, there obviously sounds like there's a trust between him and the different professors to do that and recommend working with them, that's awesome. And I find it to be a really smart and creative strategy and one that it sounds like you've taken advantage of to get really great talent in your team because you're right. When you're competing against these other technology companies, right? And you need these specialist type technologists, it's hard, it's an uphill battle, right? And it sounds like you've got a great vision and you've got some right relationships and that's led to some good out- outcomes. I'm really happy to hear that. I wanna ask you about, if I say, tell me about a memorable interviewing experience, bad, good, you interviewing somebody, what immediately pops to mind?
1: So what immediately pops to mind for me is actually as a candidate, right? So someone who is the one trying to get a job would be when I came to Vandy. So I had very limited research experience. So getting into research and wanting to do that was going to mean someone taking a chance on me. And so when I came in for that interview, there were a couple of things that really stuck out to me and that. Ended up making me feel right ultimately like this could be a real place for me, like this could be a place I want to be and I want to work from the very beginning when I was being interviewed. It felt very much like a conversation, it felt like not I have a whole list of questions, right? I'm going to go through them, I want your responses, then we'll leave time at the end, right? For you to ask questions. The whole thing felt like a conversation and it felt like them getting to know me and what that resulted in was, hey, we don't feel like this role, this exact one, right, that you've applied for is probably the right fit, but we have a role that's coming up in just a couple of months, and we think that's actually really perfect for mm-hmm. what we've heard, so rather than being this just back and forth, here's my questions. maybe you don't have all the research experience that we would typically be looking for or need, We've seen enough, right, that we feel like, hey, there's this other thing that's coming and we think this would be really perfect. And that's what I ended up doing. I ended up reapplying under a new role when it got posted and then got hired into that. That required them, right, to really be listening to me, to getting a little deeper understanding of my goals, my experiences, what I was trying to accomplish by shifting from what I've been doing into research and then, then feeling that they've seen enough, right, to be able to take a chance on me coming in and entering the organization.
0: Yeah, and what I see from that is that they have a strong idea of what type of behavioral profile works within what they're trying to accomplish, and we hear a lot more now that you can train skills, but you can't train, right, fit, cultural fit, and things like that, and so it seems like they identified you as somebody that would be a great fit for the organization, just a matter of getting you in that right opportunity and role. and 13 years later, I'm sure they feel pretty good about that decision. So that's awesome. Do you have a favorite question you like to ask prospective hires?
1: Oh, I do. I actually, funny, I have a series of them. So I like to mix just my personality in the way that I, because I I really do think exactly what you said. You look for people who are going to be a good fit you can always train them. You can always learn specific skills if you've got someone curious and interested in lots of things. But so I like to have a little fun and I like a mix of some serious, like your typical questions, but then also things that are really fun. I like to give chances for people to both like shine and brag on themselves, but also talk about things that are hard. So I like things like tell us about the toughest decision we've had to make in the last six months and being able to dig deeply into things that are hard. But then also, I love things like, what's your proudest career achievement? And even if you're early, what are things like, how do you feel you made the biggest contribution to whatever it is you're doing today? And then I like to mix those with things like, tell me about your typical or ideal weekend, because I just want to get to know the person, right? I want to know what makes them tick and what they really care about. So I like a, a mixture of different types of questions. This episode is brought to you by MSH, an innovative professional services and SaaS organization serving customers ranging from startups to the Fortune 100. A truly global company operating in more than 35 markets across three continents, MSH partners with their customers to build the teams that solve their biggest and most complex business
0: challenges. Contact them and find out more at talentmsh.com. I love those questions. I'm going to put you on the spot. What's yeah. the toughest decision you made in the last six months?
1: So I would say this is with Couture. Yeah. So Couture did its first round of outside fundraising last year. We were super lucky in that our fundraising journey was different than a lot of what you hear. We closed over a million dollars in less than two weeks' time. It was very speedy. It happened really quickly. And without a lot of tons of pitches and lots of no's is more common. Um But with anything, any kind of startup, right, we have multiple customer segments. So we work both in the uniform industry and also in the fashion space. And we were hitting some points where we're having to make some decisions around which one we're going to allocate more resources to. And they're both good segments and there are opportunities in both. And we have initial customers in both. And so that's really hard. But in order to make sure that our people aren't killing themselves and that we do something really well, we have a first customer in the uniform space that's almost a billion-dollar company, and we need that to be on really solid footing. So we had to take a little bit of a pause back from what we're doing in the fashion space for the next quarter. We'll pick back up really hard with it the first of the year, but for this current quarter, we've got to double down on the uniform space. And that's hard because when we first envisioned Couture, we thought this technology the we thought the first customer, and even in the early days, we thought our primary customer was going to be in the fashion space. Wow. So those are tough decisions, but you have to prioritize your people and that it was the right decision for what we needed to do for this quarter, but it still doesn't make it. I love that.
0: I really appreciate you answering that. We talk a little bit about the importance of an employee value proposition. What does your company offer? What is the vision of your company? I want you to pretend like you have the perfect technologist sitting in front of you that you want to hire. Can you vision cast for us a little bit around couture and technology and what what you would tell them, what you would say, then how you would exemplify that vision?
1: Yeah. So one of the things actually we found is compelling to a technologist. A lot of this I had to learn along the way with the different technologies that I've developed. Technologists, the really good ones, right, they care about doing really cool cutting edge work, sometimes even more than they care about money or the pay that comes along with a position. So Couture has had, we have over a 95% retention rate for our technology team. And these people could go anywhere and they could do anything. And many of them have gotten offers for a lot higher salary than what we pay them. But the way that I sell what we do, for one, we're on the we're in an emerging technology space. It is cutting edge, it's pushing the envelope of what's possible and what has been demonstrated. We're not doing something like, oh, this is a technology that's existed, we know how to do it, we're just doing it slightly different. It's not that kind of thing. And so my pitch to technologists is always when couture we're a people first company. And you are a thought leader, and that's why we're hiring you. Mm. I'm not hiring you because I'm going to come to you and say, hey, this is the five things that I need you to do. I need you to build an algorithm, and it's going to have these variables, and it's going to do this. And this is the tool I want you to use, or this is the language, or this is what we're doing. It's we hired you because you have this expertise and this background, and we want you to be a thought leader. So I'm going to tell you what the end result needs to look like, and you're going to tell me how we're going to get there. And that empowers them to, one, have ownership over the way that we build the technology. It's their influence. It's their thought that's going into how we do that. And it helps us get to better ideas, right? And it also creates this culture where it's very open. Um, It's open for you to put forth your ideas when you have them. It's valued. It's not just open, but it's also, that's the expectation, is that you're going to come to the table as a thought leader. You're not going to be told what to do. You're going to tell us what we should be doing.
0: Yeah, you have really onto something there. You found the secret sauce about what really attrition and tenure and retention is all about. Compensation, free lunches, things like that. Those are nice, right? But I think really you want to be part of something bigger than yourself. You want to feel like you have a voice. You want to feel like you are making an impact and moving the needle within your role, no matter what role that is within the organization. So I think you're doing a brilliant job with that. That's awesome. If I was a technologist, I'd be signing up right now. And maybe some technologists just listen to that and want to sign up. We'll figure out a way for them to be able to apply if they like what you just had to say. Last question hiring wise, candidate experience is something that's really important. Everybody talks about it. What do you think are the tenants of a good candidate experience in a interview hiring process?
1: Yeah, so there are handful of things to me that are key some that will sound more obvious and some maybe less but one of the things I think is super important on both sides is that interview the hiring process is authentic and what I mean by that is it's easy to want to shine the best light possible right when you have candidates and talk about all the things that are amazing and going well but I feel like you also have to be really authentic about what the expectations are what does a real workday look like? What are areas where there are opportunities for growth? What are things that maybe you aren't doing as well? And that's why you want this person. You want them to come in, and you want them to be room for them to leave an impression. You want there to be room for their ideas to have value. And that doesn't happen if you just present everything is going great. And so, to me, being authentic and not being afraid to be transparent about where you see your strengths, but also where you see your weaknesses and where they can really make a big difference in the organization. Team dynamics are super important. So some of those like more fun questions, I really just want to know more about the person and their personality. And do I think the mix of people we have working in a given area that they're going to mesh well with? And that doesn't mean everybody's best friends, but it means can you support each other at the same time you're challenging each other and can you have that right balance with the group of people that you're working with a couple other things one thing that's small but I think it makes a difference is just little things like so I'm on a university campus right parking can be a real pain and just navigating to the building that you need to get to I feel like if you are the person that's reaching out to a candidate, you should take care of those things. You should make it very easy for them to get where they need to be, find the person they're trying to meet with. They should have your cell number. They should be able to text you. That shouldn't be a point of stress that starts from the first minute before they've even gotten into the interview. I've seen people show up for interviews like sweating and they've been all over campus and they couldn't find the building. And don't do that to candidates like help, help them. And I've also heard people say it's part of the test. No, it's not. Like just make the experience smooth and manage the things right that you can manage for that person interviews are stressful so don't add a layer of stress just because I can't find the building or I can't park and then I really having multiple perspectives I rarely do an interview where it's just me and a candidate it's always either a group of people or we arrange multiple visits right throughout the day because everybody picks up on something different people are going to interact with the person that comes into the role in different ways and I feel like you need that while at the same time trying to balance not overwhelming a candidate where they meet you don't want them sitting like with 10 people or it feels like it's 10 on one but but you do need multiple perspectives and then I also like when depending on the role and depending on the job task someone's going to be doing setting up opportunities for them to actually show off like how they would approach so Maybe it's giving a presentation, maybe it's facilitating a little mini 10-minute workshop, but something that allows them to show off their skills and shine in ways that are authentic to what they'd be doing in the role. I think those set up a better candidate experience.
0: Totally agree. I think it's one of the better ways to learn about how somebody will be in a role if you can have them put something together like that. I love that. What a great, thorough answer. I feel so seen from when you made the comment about how hard it is to park at a university. I think the university of Arizona is still chasing me down from 2004 on some unpaid yeah, parking citations. Awesome. So <laughs> yeah, We need to, we also need to find an entrepreneur who can handle university parking. Cause it's just yeah. not working. I have the them from back in the day to prove it. It's great stuff, Dina. I love it. I want to ask you, how do you balance both of these, what seem to be full-time jobs outside of never sleeping? How do you balance your work at the Wondery and your work for Couture Technologies?
1: Yeah, the real answer right comes down to team. If I didn't have a team on both sides, then neither one would be possible. And I'd also say couture is transitioning. So with couture, for the last two and a half years, We've been in stealth mode. And in stealth mode, the focus has been on, yes, I've done customer discovery. Yes, we've been building up partnerships. But the real focus during stealth mode has been on building the technology. And while I can do some coding, I am not your person that's like building machine learning algorithms and doing 3D simulations. So I'm not hugely helpful on that part of the business. But we're at a transition point where now we're out of stealth mode. We are starting to, we have real customer relationships. The product is in market. And I don't know what the next six months are going to hold is the answer, right, for that. We have a great team behind me. They're the reason I'm able to balance Couture with my role at The Wondery. But as that grows, we're going to hit a space where either it needs my full-time attention, like any growing business, or we've got to find a CEO. Those are the choices, right? When an organization starts growing to the point where it takes on a life of its own and there are hundreds of customers, everybody hits that decision point where you have to figure out, because you can't do two full-time, no one can do two full-time roles.
0: Would it be hard to hand over the company to another CEO? I mean, obviously it'd have to be the right person. You'd go through your diligence, but even if you found the perfect person, do you feel like there would any be any kind of anxiety in terms of giving that up for you?
1: So I have worked with over 500 founders now and we've seen every which way this can go. For me personally, I tend to pride myself around being pretty self-aware And so I'm always thinking about, I am an inventor, like I love to be the idea person, right? And come up with, hey, this is what this technology should do and this is how we're going to build it. And I love to assemble a team and I love all the early startup operational stuff. But at the same time, If I feel like there's a better person, then there's a better person. I've never been one to think, but this was my thing, and it was my idea, and I started it, and that means I'm always going to be the one to run it, whether it's three employees or it's 5,000. I've never been the person that thinks that way. I more care about this idea has a chance to make a massive environmental and customer experience impact. The only way it does that is when we give it every chance to do that. So it's got to have the right team. It's got to have the right leadership at the right time. And right now that is me. And that's definitely me. But at the point it's not, it's not. And I'm okay with that because I want to see the idea to its fullest potential.
0: It just depends on what you're motivated by, right? If you're motivated by impact, if you're motivated by the potential of something, then you have to take your ego out of it a little bit and say, what is best for the people that work here for this company and for this to reach the masses in the way that we know it can and should. And if ego is what drives you, or if credit was what drives you, or even if money a lot of the times is what only drives you, then you don't always make decisions like that, right? And so I applaud you for that. And I think it's absolutely the right approach. And I give you a ton of credit on that. Um, In terms of your role, I I know that you've got, I want to ask you this question, but I know a lot of it's going to be tied to Couture. So I'm going to ask you at The Wondery. Is there anything that The Wondery is working on right now that you're super juiced about, you're super excited about that you want to share with us?
1: So many things. So, the Wondery, for those who may not be as familiar with it, the Wondery is Vanderbilt's Innovation Center. So, we get to work on everything from social innovations to we have an entire floor of the center that's a maker space. So, laser cutters and 3D printers and commercial sewing machines. We get to work on things like entrepreneurship, which I've talked about. We also work on innovation and design research. So, really, it's a a comprehensive innovation center. And when about a year and a half ago, We had three full-time people and then a couple professors that balance their teaching with working at the Wondry. We'll be almost 30 people at the end of our latest hiring Uh days. So I've been able to just be with the Wondry through this last year and a half of crazy growth. The people that we have found and brought into roles are remarkable. And I'm, I'm so thrilled with the team members that we found in their first few months. With us, we've got a few that are in their first few weeks and first few days and still a few more that are that we're hiring now so many things feel possible that weren't possible when we had three people and so we've done everything from in march we launched vanderbilt's first incubator so we have an entire floor in the Lowe's office tower that is purely for incubating and growing ventures and keeping them here in nashville hiring people here, growing here. We are starting an accelerator that will start next year, both a climate innovation accelerator and also a biomedical accelerator. We are working on some really key workforce development initiatives. So one of those will be initially in training people to work in labs. So as we have more biomed, biotech companies that are springing up here, how do you have the right workforce to work inside of those companies? And what role can we play in working with community colleges and other agencies on making sure that the workforce that we need for some of these future jobs are, is here? We became an I-Corps hub. So we were already an I-Corps site. We've been doing that since 2017. But now there's a brand new model that NSF, is the National Science Foundation, is transitioning to called a Hubs model. And so Vanderbilt just got a $15 million grant through the Wondering to lead one of these hubs. So it's us and eight other institutions across the Mid-South, stretching all the way from Virginia down to Mississippi. And we're working on building through that collaboration and an inclusive innovation corridor across this whole area. We're doing things like. Helping to start a venture capital association to just really unite all of the capital and the investors that are here to make that easier because that's one piece, right, of a great innovation ecosystem. Is that you've got the capital, you've got the workforce, you've got those anchor institutions, the companies that are going to employ people and provide thought leadership. We've got training programs that we've been expanding. I'm just there's so many things that I'm excited about with the Wondery. But the number one thing to me is there's so many ideas. It's the right time for Nashville. And now we've got the bandwidth and the momentum to capitalize on all the opportunities of the city scene.
0: I love that. I think I probably should have just asked, just, have just asked what are you not excited about? Because there's yeah. so much good stuff going on. I also love how loyal and how much love you have for the city of Nashville and wanting to keep technology and innovation there and have that be such an epicenter of that. And obviously the growth over the last two decades plus has been really incredible. I want to read a LinkedIn post that you got here because I want to ask you about this. So it says, Nashville, we wouldn't want to grow anywhere but here. We love you, your people, your history, and the way your future is evolving. For the second year in a row, Couture Technologies was a top three finalist for the next awards. Since we began, we've been surrounded by a rapidly increasing tribe that has embraced us, challenged us, and fiercely supported not only our tech, but also each of us, the people behind the innovation. Can't thank you enough. We're excited for our startup story to be a Nashville story. So that's amazing. It's a love letter to Nashville. Well-deserved. What are the next awards?
1: The next awards are Nashville's premier, if you will, real and business awards. So Couture has been nominated for startup technology of the year. And then last year we were nominated for like startup founder, basically of the year. And these to me, the awards are important because they highlight all the stuff that's going on in our city. It is a night where you get to see things that you haven't seen before. Maybe you haven't heard. And it goes all the way from startup to businesses that have over $3 million a year in revenue. So it's from small all the way up to larger organizations. And it's across everything from healthcare and music to more general technology. It's just a showcase of all the activity and the excitement and what's going on in Nashville. So that, to me, part of having a good innovation ecosystem is you have to make more transparent what's happening in the ecosystem. And the next awards are an opportunity for Nashville to do that. And for me, we've done everything from, I wanted Couture to be a Nashville startup. I want it to be part of Nashville's innovation story and our entrepreneurial story. And that's gone all the way from start to where we are today. Couture is a Tennessee-based company. We had people tell us you're only going to get investment if you're a Delaware C Corp. Not true. But we raised our money in a record amount of time. We are we are a Tennessee company. Our business licenses are here. Right, all that stuff is here. When we went out to raise our funds, I wanted to, you hear a lot that the capital's not here. And that's why people leave. So we purposefully set out to raise all of our investment in Tennessee. And we did. Every one of our investors is a Tennessee investor. We've really tried to showcase through our story that this is the place where you can start and grow a business. And so I'm just, I'm happy that we're able to take what we're doing and highlight all the good things that are happening.
0: We're preaching the choir here is There's a reason we went out there. We see it. We know what's going on. We want to be where the action is. We want to be where the business is. And it's such a great hub of technology and innovation and i feel like the national chamber of commerce has been sponsoring this podcast but it's very well deserved i gotta ask a couple of things first is can you put in a good word for me so i get an invite next year because <laughs> it's like a lot of fun Two, of fun. this dress that you're wearing in this picture i'm sure you know which one i'm talking about i think this is what i've heard on the oscars Who are you wearing?
1: So I'm so glad you asked that because this is addressed by Juliana Bass. Juliana is a Tennessee native who moved to, she's lived in a lot of places. She was in the fashion scene in Berlin for a while, but has spent the last really almost couple of decades as a luxury fashion designer in New York and has just within the last couple of months moved back to Nashville. And she's calling this like bringing her collection home, which is so exciting. I'm so glad to have her here. And I wanted to, again, like showcasing Nashville, I wanted to wear something that represented Nashville and the amazing designers and creatives that are here. So that's where the dress came from. It's one of Juliana's.
0: Even though I only wear MSH t-shirts, I still <laughs> know good fashion when I see it. All right. Now I got to ask you this, because this has just been a curiosity of mine since I've known you. Every time I see you, you're impeccably dressed. So my question is, the CEO of Couture Technologies, a fashion company. Do you feel like a responsibility every day when you get it? Like, can you ever just throw on a sweatshirt and slum it? Or do you feel this, you have this responsibility to represent your brand and be so impeccably dressed?
1: Uh, So I do love fashion. I mean, there might be a reason the fashion industry called me for this technology. So I do really love like putting on, I think they're like interesting pieces. Um, so I do really love it. But absolutely, the first thing that happens when I go home is that I have cute but really comfy sweatshirts and leggings and things that I change the minute I hit the door. I love it. <laughs> Rarely, though, do I leave the house. And so I. So this is one thing, though, too, right? So I was on the board. I do a lot of work with individuals with disabilities. Um, I have a son who's deaf. I was on the board of an organization that serves deaf youth. And one of, I had one of the students asked me one time, we were on a bus, we were heading to the state capitol for an event. And she said, I've never seen you in your pajamas. And she, she said, I'm used to like adults in my family will leave the house. And like, we may go somewhere right in our pajamas. She said, I've never seen you in your pajamas. And I was like, part of, right, me being a professional person is that obviously I wear pajamas, right? And I wear things that are super comfy at home but it does matter in terms of everywhere you go, right? You're representing your company or you're representing like the one at Vanderbilt. And so I do feel an obligation to, it's not that I have to be dressed to the nines all the time, but I do feel an obligation that you don't leave the house like wearing PJs.
0: So again, I just feel so seen. We don't have anybody in the office today, but I did wear joggers and I'll be honest with you. I slept in these last night. So I am in effect wearing pajamas out in public. It's a very different life I live than yourself. And I understand that responsibility. So wow, wow. And now I feel totally seen. So last question is this. Do you have any last bit of career advice, a nugget you would offer to somebody early on in their career that maybe you didn't know at the time, but you know now?
1: So one of the things I feel like, so with me personally, right, I've always been, I'm a bit of a rule follower, which you don't necessarily hear from entrepreneurial people all the time. True. And one of the things I felt like it took me a while early on in my career was to be bold. I'm a smart person, right? I can learn new things quickly. I can read and pick up on new technologies. I can figure things out on my own, usually pretty quickly. But I think it took me a while to give myself permission to take more risk and to be bold. And one of the ways, so when I first started at Vandy, this was around 2009, I saw some ways that we were doing data collection for the research projects that I was working on that I didn't feel like were as efficient as we could be. I felt like there were some better ways, right? We could do some of the things that we were doing. And I ended up developing a system at home for a different way that we could collect data and then brought it in and presented it. And it ended up, we ended up adopting it, piloting it. And then it got adopted later, actually, by universities all across the world. In some prior jobs, I don't know, this was after I'd already started my first company in grad school, sold that. I would had a a couple of different roles that were real jobs, like professional-type jobs. And in those previous ones, I don't know that I would have felt confident enough to have been in an organization for three months and bring some big idea, right, to the organization, it's, that's risky. And it could go a lot of different ways. And if you haven't worked with a team for long, you don't necessarily have a good read on how that might be received. So the way I approached it was build it at home, test it out, right, see if it can work, and then bring in something and present it. So I think earlier on in roles before I got to Vandy, I wish that when I saw things like that where there were opportunities for change that I had been more bold. But at the same time, I feel like, especially if you're earlier in your career, you are bold, but you also do your homework. So just like building that system at home and then bringing in to show that it could work rather than just saying, hey, I have this idea and I think we could do this thing and it would look like this. It's a lot more compelling, right? If you've done some homework, if you've done, if you've done your work to say, here's what I think could work and here's why I think it could work and have something that you can demonstrate. But be bold, but do your homework.
0: Yeah, there's a difference between being bold and being brash, right? And you got to find that balance and make sure that you live within that spectrum. Dina, I really appreciate you taking some time with us today. If people want to find out more about you or your company, where should we send them?
1: Yeah, so LinkedIn is a great way to connect with me. So just Dina Metter. both The Wondery and Couture both have websites. So couturetechnologies.com, thewondery.com. You can get to me from either one of those places, but LinkedIn's a great place if you just personally wanna connect.
0: Okay, I appreciate the time. I'm so glad we got a chance to talk. I'm looking forward to seeing you very soon in one of our favorite cities, Nashville. And I hope you have a great rest of your night.
1: Awesome, thank you.
0: Talk to you later. Thank you for listening to Higher Learning with me, Oz Rashidh. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode.